So, Parth, after all these technical difficulties, I'm dying to know. What have you what what have you been eating? Tell me. Well, T man, since you asked me, um, my famous nickname. It's true. Um, I my mom made me a grilled cheese sandwich. Anything on it, or just cheese and bread grilled? Cheese, bread, grill. <laughs> sure. Dorks. What more could you ask for? Do you feel like your nutritional needs have been satisfied? I'm sure my carbohydrates, my my uh, dairy. That's all been met. What's your vegetable intake like? Are you going to get scurvy due to lack of vitamin C? No, Trent, because every day I take a slice of um, lemon, put some salt on it, put that on mm. my teeth. Is that good for you? Should I be doing that? That's that's what pirates did, yeah. And they also drank almost exclusively alcohol. Is that what you've been doing? I, yeah. Uh, well, we don't. What, what have you been eating, Trent? How about that, hmm? Um, touchy subject, but Parth, what time is it? 7.50 p.m.? At at my place, yes. Yeah, here it's 5.50 p.m., but I regret to inform you it's, like, the first act of my day, so currently eating breakfast. My sleep schedule's been kind of unhealthy. Trent, um, what the fuck? I, I've been going to bed at, like, 4 or 5 a.m., and then waking up at, like, 3 p.m., so... I'm just getting, getting So you've been started. up for two hours right now? I'm in the first act of my day. Is this and, a joke? And you're in the third act. Like two the, hours ago you were asleep? The curtain is setting on your day. But it, it's unhealthy. I, I need to deal with it. It's because I, I got my sleep schedule was messed up because I had to go on these muscle relaxers. Because I had this muscle spasm in my back. Had to go to the chiropractor. Got like this electric therapy thing. Whew. What it's it's Parth. We haven't talked in a while, but boy, lots happened. Um, but I so it is suffice it to say, I'm drinking a smoothie. M- my usual uh, morning concoction. It's the only thing that uh, keeps me going because the rest of the food in my life um, doesn't bring much to the table, nutrition wise. Um, Trent, I hear you have some thoughts on Apple TV, some pet peeves. Th- thanks for asking. Parth gave me access to his Apple TV account last night. Um, very nice to him. Shout out, co-host Parth. <laughs> and I went on the platform for the first time, and I think it has a fundamental flaw. Um, Parth, do you have any idea what this might be? Enlighten us. The structure. There's no search bar. As far as I can tell, you just have to scroll indefinitely, and things aren't organized in any way. It's just like they only have so many programs, so they're just like, you have to scroll through all of them, and it's kind of for... It's smart because you don't have... They don't have that many options, and so that they're pushing it in your face, but it's unlike any other streaming platform. How do you feel about, about this? Okay. So you're half right. Um, so so the way that Apple TV works, the the I think there is a fundamental flaw, um, but there is a search bar. So the thing is, so the, the thing is, Apple TV is accessed through the TV app, right? I, I've only accessed it on my computer, so this could be my fault. I know, I know, but like the TV like application on your computer. Okay. But it, it, it's accessed through the TV application on your computer. And the problem is, so if you were to, like, search something, like, normally up, 
this stuff it's like if you were to search say on the rocks for example um if you were to search that up it would show up so you can actually search stuff but the problem is because they've integrated it with their like if i bought a movie like if i buy the avengers or something like that it's they've they've made two things into one thing and that's kind of cluttered and dare i say it bad i watched bill and ted through your account part so thank you for paying for my viewing experience you know what trent um it's okay uh i i'm glad i was able to bring that to you and with that shall we continue on to our show yes cue the intro Welcome back to Crap Services, where we talk about the movies. Stop, stop, stop. Each week, we discuss a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience, share some knowledge. This week, we talked with Angela Ang. She was a dialogue editor for Bill and Ted Face the Music, and she was, I would say, a delight. Trent, what would you say? That's an understatement, Par. That's a was the best day of my life so far. Uh, it was a pretty. That sounds not at all like an exaggeration. It was a pretty good interview. What else can we say? Uh, we talked about dialogue, uh, editing. Um, Parth, take it away. You were there. So, so what was it like? It's it's true. Uh, you get some fun stories. You figure out how she got involved with the tenant crew. Um, you you figure out uh, her. She she had a hearing problem. Yeah, this is. Kind of a crossover with our last two episodes because we talked about Tenet a little bit because that's like the through line content you signed up for here on this program. And with that, we'll take you away. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Angela Eng. She was a dialogue editor for our film, Bill and Ted Face the Music. She's worked on such projects as Tenet and The Whisperer in Darkness. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, our first question is generally, what got you interested in the film industry? Yeah, um, I, I went to, when I was in high school, I was part of the theater program, and I loved acting. I love being around other actors and directors. And in my world, it was just actors and directors. And so I went to film school um, because of that. And it was from film school that I realized there's a whole other world um, of other arts that go into filmmaking. And so long story short, I thought I wanted to be a picture editor. And then I got exposed to sound editing and I was like, whoa, no one ever talks about this. And this is way more of a, it's way more of a magic trick than video editing could ever be. And so the more I got, um, the more exposure I got from sound and I interned at Fox for a summer as a student. And um, so yeah, I just fell more in love with, um, sound in filmmaking so so where did you go to film school and like how did you enjoy your time there and what did you learn about yourself as an artiste 
Yeah, I went to Biola University, which is out here in SoCal. Yeah, I was a film major there. I think for me, I I went to film school knowing that, uh, well, I first of all realized there's so many other forms of art in filmmaking. And I, I just love movies. I love cinema. Um, my biggest takeaway from film school, honestly, is not just sound. It's it's how to enjoy watching movies. <laughs> and I know it sounds really funny, but um, I started to watch movies as if they're literature, as if they're books. And from there, I just kind of started to see what aspects of making this larger art, um, What, where do I fit in best? And what, um, what part of my strength could really contribute to these stories that I want to be a part of making. And um, personally, I I know I'm good at manipulating files and sound, or if it's video editing, editing, which I do on the side. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy doing that. But I think with sound being such an underrated art form, that just drew me into it. I also grew up as a musician. I grew up playing piano, like many other Asians. Um, I picked up the bass guitar in high school. And um, the funny thing is um, I grew up with a hearing problem. There is a, there's like a certain frequency in the human voice or the human speech that I couldn't really hear clearly. So as a child, I always said, huh? and what and made people repeat things like six times uh, and I think in high school when I started to listen to music a lot and my own music choices I I realized my hearing was getting better because I started to dissect all of these different instruments and all of these layers like this is the third backup vocalist coming in right now and like there's got to be two electric guitars or at least two tracks and Da, 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 da. Um, and so that just really helped me, I guess, sound wise, where I really got to develop my own taste. And so with the hearing problem getting um, resolved in some ways for me, it, I think it just kind of made a soft spot for me to dig into sound and really rock that arena. So you've grown out of that hearing impairment completely i'd like to think i did um there are moments where i'm like maybe i'm just 90 percent healed <laughs> so back in your childhood when people would speak in this certain frequency would it be like a ringing or would it be like silence i know it must be hard to describe i'm just curious oh yeah no it was more like muffled in some way so i i, I can hear them but you can't like discern discern exactly what they're saying yeah exactly my weakness point, I think it was, I think it's like the, the higher sound of things. So I, I could kind of get the tone of what people were saying, but I, it wasn't articulated in a way where I, I'm like, oh, this person said this. And actually to answer your other question, um, I still find myself um, catching jokes that people say, because sometimes they'll just like mumble it or say it super fast and then suddenly everyone at the table is laughing their heads off. And I'm I'm just sitting there and then what I do is I replay what I heard. 
as many times as I need until I I can fit it into the context. And I'm like, oh, this person must have said this. And then I laugh like two minutes later. Delayed reaction. <laughs> exactly. Um, so moving moving on a little bit to our main topic, um, how did you get involved with Bill and Ted? Um, so the crew I worked with, I've worked with them maybe two times before. We worked on other films, which are actually coming out. One of them, one of them is coming out at the end of this week for it's like a horror horror comedy movie, and then the second one is coming out on Thanksgiving Day. Um, so I worked on those two films with them, and then um, the same supervisor called me in and was telling me we're gonna work on. Bill and Ted 3 and I was like oh shoot um yeah I I didn't grow up watching them but I've heard so many references as a kid and as a teenager and so I did my due diligence of watching Bill and Ted 1 and 2 um a, a few months before I got on and so that just made me extremely excited for Bill and Ted 3. B besides using them as uh, a way to get hyped up um, did you reference the past movies as a sort of like scripture or just as like a cadence for like the characters speaking and the timing being the dialogue editor? Yeah. Um, so my role as a dialogue editor, I don't really get to do anything with timing. That's all set in stone by the, the picture, the picture editors. Um, and so I didn't really, I didn't really have any say on that, but, my role is to help provide more clarity to the dialogue. So if you have certain jokes or like punchlines, like for sure, I have to make sure those parts are very intelligible or they can stand out amongst all the other noise happening on set. So, so it's, sorry, it's more like manipulating the levels. Yeah. Manipulating levels, providing clarity, um, just, yeah, it it sounds really simple and technical in some ways, but that's no that this is the podcast for very technical things. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's what we're here to do. So, are you the only dialogue editor like on a given like feature project, or is it divided between a bunch of people? Yeah, good question. Um, so, sound crews these days tend to run smaller just because budget sizes are changing and fluctuating constantly in the industry. Um, usually there's one dialogue editor who will handle the entire film. Um, oftentimes there is a supervisor, like an ADR supervisor who handles all the additional recording that needs to happen in post-production. And this supervisor will work um, in coordination with the dialogue editor. Um, sometimes the deadlines are so fast that you have to split it up with the supervisor and the editor. Um, but a lot of times it's just one dialogue editor. And then in regards to sound effects, sometimes there'll be two or three, or as in the case for Tenet, there's like a full on team. There is, I don't know, eight of us. So one of the questions we had was, at what point in the process are you brought along? Like, are you immediately, mm -hmm. as soon as production is rolling, you're working? Or are you just waiting for, like, the footage to come by? Typically, for me as a dialogue editor, um, I 
I'm probably the last person on the sound crew to get hired on. Um, it's usually the supervisors who will do a lot of the, the finessing of scheduling with the producers and the director and the picture department. So they get called on first. Um, for Bill and Ted specifically, I got called on probably a few weeks before my start day on the project started. Um, but for another one of the films I did, it was literally, I started on Tuesday and I got called in the Friday before. So it really just depends. Um, but usually directors and producers, they just wanna lock in the supervisors for the sound crew and then they work with them on all the macro things and then it's up to the supervisors to recruit the editors that they'll be working with. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a dialogue editor, um, how many, like when, it, it, since you're editing the whole project, are you just watching it chronologically, like start to finish repeatedly and like tweaking stuff along the way? Or what's your process with like where to start and if you have to do the whole thing? I think it's different with each project because some, some projects are, when they're lower budget, there's less, um, sometimes there's less picture changes that happen. Um, so when I was a film student, we, we did a lot of, I would get a picture lock file. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but yeah, everything would be picture lock. And that means there's not going to be any more changes happening. And so, they would give all the files to me or give me the final product and then I get all the production audio and I start editing and cleaning stuff up, adding additional sound effects. Um, and then when I finish, I give it to the director and producer and they like do whatever they want with it to distribute it to film festivals and whatnot. But in, in the industry, it's very common to get a lot of picture changes even after it's been picture locked and delivered to me or to the sound crew. And so there actually is a whole process and we call it conform where you, you take your project that you've, that I've been like working on all this time. And then the picture department would say, here's a new file and here's a list of all the changes that happen. And it's basically a list of time codes of, this scene got shortened by two frames and this scene over here got swapped all the way to the end and the end scene is in the middle on this part of the time code. Um, and so a lot of that is just small things to kind of keep an eye out for and you have to be really, um, it's very tedious work to go through the conform or the changes that come in. But a lot of times I prefer to not have any of those changes in the middle of my workflow understandably yeah. so <laughs> of course um so you've been credited as a sound effects editor a foley editor a dialogue editor and we were wondering how you get assigned to those positions and what the hierarchy within the sound department is yeah i love these questions i had all these questions too um and i just had to learn them by living them i suppose I just posed myself as a sound editor and tried not to limit myself to a certain element, a certain sound element. Um, and because 
I was still pretty early in my career. I it was easy for me to be flexible. Um, some people get pigeonholed, and or or perhaps they prefer to only edit one specific sound element. Um, and that's yeah, that's either their choice or they get stuck in that role. Um, but I I think I'm still trying to decide which one I like best. Um, I know for sure my my dialogue editing is my forte, um, and I can do that a lot quicker. I'm a lot keener in it. And very ironically, I had that hearing problem with human frequency voices. And so it's quite um, ironic, yeah. It's so ironic, but it's it's so awesome too. Um, a side story is that I have a sister, and she she also has a hearing problem. I think it was a little bit more severe than me, but she has perfect pitch and she can play. She plays, she's a pianist and she can play anything um, just by hearing it. And um, yeah, she, when she went to school, she had a full scholarship and everything, but it's just like, I guess we have hearing problems. Yeah. But... Your family is using your genetic <laughs> Achilles heel as a sort of motivation to counteract. You've been able to capitalize off of a, of a defect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we were wondering like for Bill and Ted like how long how much time did you spend on that given project and is that more or less comparable to any other feature right um well Bill and Ted like its other two films or Bill and Ted 3 is it was really low budget and small scale um and I think that's part of the charm of Bill and Ted 1 and 2 um, even down to the the VFX. So um, yeah, for this one, I I had three weeks on. It's a relatively very short. Um, I would I think another comedy that I did that was very similar in nature. It it gave I had about like I think I had about eight or nine weeks on. Um, so so just comparing those two movies, which. Um, as like an audience member, you could say they're pretty comparable. I had a very little time on Bill and Ted 3. So I just had, there was a week where I had to prioritize what I was going to focus on. Um, but I managed to get through everything and deliver the quality that I um, really strive to provide to my team. So... Even though I only had three weeks to work on, um, other members of my team had it were on it a lot longer, and and that's just kind of the way it goes. Where my supervisors have the budget, different roles um, to make everything work out. Um, I'm just wondering, since you're doing all, in the case of Bill and Ted, you're doing all of the dialogue. Um, how is is that all in a vacuum, or are you in constant? like communication with like other sound effects and mu the music department to figure out like what the what 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 the appropriate levels are supposed to be or are those just notes that you have that you get that you have to apply on your own yeah um they are um there are aspects of it where i have to apply it on my own and just kind of gauge but a lot of times um, my role is pretty standardized. 
in that I my role is to provide um, good, clean audio so that the mixer who puts music, dialogue, and sound effects together, um, they're the ones who kind of cook everything together. And so my, my role as a dialogue editor is to provide good ingredients. Okay, and so you're like more of the preparation for it to end up being made. Exactly. But, uh, but I will say that there are times where when you have a shot or a scene with a lot of people, see like it's a party scene and there's like a lot of side conversations going on. I still have to clean every single track. Um, but at the same time I get, I also have the freedom to um, lower certain levels and accentuate certain conversations um, just so that, just so that there's some intentionality to all the layers that I'm providing to the mixer and that way they're not confused. So do you not really have to answer to anyone about like these like minor creative decisions like you said about like uh, adjusting different levels? Do they just like do the higher ups? You provide the ingredients and they get what they get. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, there is um, a certain amount of freedom, but at the same time, um, it's standardized in that I'm, I'm just supposed to clean everything and everything's laid out um, plainly. Um, and if the scene is really complicated with a lot of a lot of audio tracks and a lot of layers of people talking, then I would I would um, highlight certain areas and I would just give my supervisor a heads up like, hey, I did this and not sure if you wanted blah, 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 but just a heads up, this is what I did. So the finished product that you're like exporting and sending to the mixer, this is a technical question, but is it just like the movie with the the full film with your edits in without like the uh, the special effects sounds and the foley sounds or is it just like all of your files with time codes saying this goes here this goes here yeah um a lot of times i'm just working with the guide track um because when i'm when i'm editing the other sound effects editors are working on it so it's it's very rare that I'll have all of that in place when I'm working with them. It would be nice because that way I know how loud um, this part should be. And um, there are also <laughs> something that I do to when I'm like really crunching down on time, especially for non-union projects, um, like smaller short films when I'm when I really don't have time it's always nice for me to know where the music is going to be full blast so then I don't have to clean the dialogue so clean and it takes me a long time to take out all the hums to take out any random footsteps from the crew um, and if that scene is going to be blurring with music and with lots of other sound effects then then I don't even have to worry about cleaning up the audio in that area well, moving on just a little bit, um, you've worked on two of my favorite films of 2020, um, which considering the pandemic, I don't know that that means much, but they, uh, <laughs> two films I really liked in 2020. Um, one is Bill and Ted, but the other is Tenet. Um, that's my segue. 
and um, I was wondering if you could talk about how you got involved with Tenet, what that process was like. I believe you were a Foley editor on that. Um, mm -hmm. So if you could just explain away. Yeah. Um, I was really blown away by how I became part of the team. Um, I came in midway when the sound crew was already hard at work, but I work with, I work in the same hallway as the tenant crew when I was working on Bill and Ted. So my time on Bill and Ted wrapped up. Um, and I, um, as a sound editor, you got to find people to talk to because otherwise you're talking to no one all day for weeks and weeks on end. So I was just chatting with one of the editors across the hallway and just checking in, seeing how they're doing. And when they found out that my, um, yeah, my time was up with Bill and Ted 3, they, they let me know that they needed additional help. So I came in as a Foley editor. I have cut Foley many times, but it was just weird because I don't, I don't um, like, I guess promote myself as a Foley editor or a sound effects editor. Um, but I always tell people I cut dialogue and I love it. And I also love sound effects and Foley, but I just don't really talk about it much because um, I feel like if I were to say anything, I would let people know about my my other my stronger arm in dialogue. And so um, I was really shocked, but I was also really pleasantly surprised and extremely grateful to be part of this amazing crew. And this crew had, um, man, everyone is so talented and everyone is so keen. They're also super hilarious people. So it was a great privilege to be part of this team and contribute to the greater work of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> well put. Um, so uh, as we all know, Foley is like recreating sounds uh, in a mm -hmm. in a vacuum that couldn't be uh, well captured at, like on set. Um, so like what kind of Foley work, like more specifically, were you doing on Tenet? Like, was it like footsteps or I know that's a hard question. And 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 were you were you making all of the sounds or were you just getting sound files other people were making and making those same adjustments to them? Yeah, pa Parth and I have just both seen the movie several times, so whatever you say, I'm sure we'll be able to, like, yeah, to say it. Of course. Well, I'm curious. How many times did you watch it? I've only seen it once. Oh, I've seen it twice in theaters. Oh, you guys are awesome. Thank you for watching it. I, I have a friend who went to the theaters and watched it four times. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I went the first time. I was like, well, I'm confused. And so I, I just went again the next day to fill in the gaps. Right. Yeah. Did I, you like I, the finished product? I'm sure you did. If you... I was really excited to watch it because I actually did not know the finished product. Um, because so many changes happened to the film after I wrapped up on this project. So... Um, I actually went there, though. So I think Regal announced that they were going to close down for the rest of the year or something because not enough movies were being released. And so the last showing was on a Wednesday night. And so I actually bought, I, I held out on going to theaters because I was like really concerned about safety and everything. But I was like, I have to watch it at least just once. You have in to theaters. see your own movie in the theater, and it's Christopher Nolan, so it's, that's where it's meant to be seen. Exactly. So 
I actually went, I managed to go to the theater that Christopher Nolan went to. It was in Irvine Spectrum. I don't live too far away oh from there. Oh my gosh. So it was, crazy. it was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, that's the closest IMAX theater in my area. Um, but going back to your question, which I forgot. Basically, like what more specifically did you edit fully wise on Tenet? Right. And just another side question, do they not give you the, like the full film when you're working as a sound editor? Or was it just there was minor changes that for from the time you worked on it to the time you saw it in theaters? Right. Okay, I'll answer your first question first, because um, they both deserve a lot of explanation. It's two multi-part questions, I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> um, oh, so fully, I, yeah, I cut footsteps for sure. Um, there's footsteps and everything that deals with their feet and anything they touch. So we categorize that as props. Um, so if the lady is holding a cup of ice, which um, Priya, she was holding a cup of ice um, with her drink. And so I had to edit the sound for that. Um, there's lots of action. So I had to edit the thuds and all of the anything that they're touching. So it's just all kinds of items, everything that you would see to just provide um, realism to the film. And it really grounds it. It's one of, it's one of my favorite things to do to cut fully. It's very therapeutic to just listen to those sounds. Um, but yeah, the way it happens is there is a Foley artist who will go through the film and the Foley supervisor will typically provide cues. So um, we use this thing called Pro Tools and um, inside the Pro Tools session, we'll mark the part in the film that we need a certain sound effect. So it'll say grabs or um, like gun grab or something. And it would have the character's name so that we know which person to focus on. And sometimes in, in an action scene where you have 50 people on screen or say the kitchen fighting scene, um, we would just have to note like chef on the right, most right or second to the right, um, like spatula movements. And so you would kind of have to record that or waiter putting cup down. And so you just kind of have, we have shorthand words um, and ways to phrase it where it's understandable, but it doesn't take up the entire space on the computer to provide description for that. So the Foley artist, um, we had John Roche who recorded Foley and he's done a ton of, he's done every single movie that you could be a fan of. Um, he, yeah, he's a Foley artist behind that. And it was him. There's actually a, a bunch of other Foley artists that we recruited in. Um, and so my role was to edit the sounds that they recorded. And the reason why I need to edit it is because, um, so they, sorry, they record everything. And as they're watching it, they put it in, they do the action in sync, but it's not really in sync because our human ability to register what we see and to do it, there's always this, a very slight delay. 
but um, because they're performing in correspondence to the character's movements, they have the rhythm down, but I just had to scoot it up a few frames earlier to make it exactly match what we see on screen as an audience. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So adjusting for the natural human delay that occurs. Yes, yes, so, precisely. I have a question. Um, is the sound department for like Foley split into like like different groups for like each type of sounds like there's one for like just props and one for like just explosions or like car crashes or something like something like that like is it divided like that or did that just is that just how your specific thing ended up being with like props yeah um it's not that split up but we we categorize it so um, it makes our workflow a little bit easier. Um, so within the Foley world, um, Foley artists need to, um, they need to wear different shoes. And so like they'll block out the first half of their day um, covering foot sound effects. And so they'll have their pile of shoes and then they have different um, textures of floor flooring um and so they'll they'll kind of park there in their um fully recording studio and they'll have their microphone planted in um, and so they spend the entire first half of the day recording footsteps on this specific part of the film and then for for them to be like okay we're done on this part and we're now we're going to go into props a lot of times they get on their knees or they're in front of something with their hands and like getting really messy and so it's just that category only exists out of function and just for workflow's sake. But if you're talking about like the larger scale of sound effects, um, Foley falls within the sound effects department, and um, within sound effect within the sound effects teams, oftentimes people will split up the work. So you would have a person covering. Um, explosions or guns and then another person will do all the car stuff um, and another person will do um, what they call hard effects which is like closing the door or closing the I don't know random objects it's very mundane objects but it's not as mundane as props because props has to deal with what the actor is doing and so um, yeah there's also that hard effects and then there's background effects which is very atmospheric and setting the precedence of a given shot. So, um, so that's all the layers within sound effects. Uh, so you've worked on both narratives and documentaries um, in the sound department, and we were wondering if there's any major differences in how your role operates, or if it's just still like making it sound right. Yeah, in documentaries, a lot of times it's um, dialogue editing. And what I mean by, whenever I say dialogue editing, that's basically everything to do with production audio. Um, and so it's, it's always a good sign when documentary films have good audio because you want what is heard to be as realistic and consistent to what you're seeing as possible, especially since it's a documentary. Whereas in film, you know, there's a lot of make-believe involved. Um, and so I, on documentaries, I spend maybe 
80 or 90% of the time just cleaning out the dialogue. Oftentimes there's a lot of talking. So just making sure that's the background noise isn't um, in the way. Um, so like on any given shot of a person talking, there's always hums. There's always a lot of white noise in the background. And there are ways where you can help accentuate what the speech from the person, you can accentuate that to be predominantly louder and much more present than the background noise. And I think that has a lot to do with the psychological effect of when you have a lot of background noise against dialogue, um, that could be used artfully if you're trying to create a certain environment, but in, in documentaries you want to feel present with the person you want to feel like you're in the same room and so providing that degree of presence is really key for me as a dialogue editor uh, this is another much more technical question but i think you mentioned that you use pro tools is that the only application that you use um and you know just could, if you could explain like the the literal mechanism by which you edit all this sound of course yeah pro tools is industry standard so i learned that right uh, right away in film school it was really difficult to learn but now it's my best friend um <laughs> there is logic is it audacity or audition we're, we're using audacity right now to record this podcast so <laughs> oh awesome yeah, so there's Logic, there is Nuendo or Cubase. Um, I, I know some other freelancers who use these, um, but most people, especially if you want to break in and make a good living, you need to, you need to learn Pro Tools because that's what everyone else is using. Um, and oftentimes we work in teams or with a crew. And so if you want to work well with others, you got to, you got to use the same platform or software as they do. Standardization of, yeah, okay. Exactly. So on your LinkedIn, um, it says that you're a dialogue editor for Warner Brothers, and we were wondering if it was common for people to be stationed or con contracted to a specific studio. Yeah. Um, I'm a contractor. Um, I put Warner Brothers down because... I was working there pretty consistently from project one project to the other. But um, in between those projects, I work uh, I work with other companies that are smaller. Um, I worked at Apple for a certain amount of time, and I just do different projects. But um, you you don't necessarily get um, stationed with one, but in some way you do. And what I mean by stationed is like you get stationed with a certain company out of relationship um, from the supervisors that you meet from the other ed editors that want to bring you on to their team. And so in this way, this part of Hollywood is very relational and connections based. But I don't think as a sound editor, I'll be like fully employed I won't be like a permanent employee employee there. I'll just be contracted. And likewise, my supervisors are also contracted as well. 
That makes sense. Um, well, I guess just to sort of wrap this up, our final question for our guests is always um, how you've been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. And um, I know film production starting to come back up. So like, how has this whole thing affected your workflow? It's definitely been, it's definitely been hard. And I know a lot of my colleagues are, um, there's just no work coming in. So for me personally, I've been keeping busy with editing podcasts. Um, I have been picking up video editing projects. Um, at the very beginning of my career, I, I was a video editor at a, at an online school. So I've been working on small projects video wise throughout my entire career. So just having to resort to these smaller jobs has been keeping me busy. And um, as an artist, I enjoy learning about other other crafts and digging into my other work. So if you can see at the back of my room, there's this little frame and this little character. It's like a paper mache character. I've been doing a lot of paper mache. Um, so it's fun. Yeah, it's good. I, I think this pandemic, as torturous as it's been, <laughs> um, for, I mean, for for different reasons, it's it's been really good just to. Um, it's been a good time for introspection and just to see um, what life has given me so far and also with what I'm given, um, how I can, how I can like better appreciate it and also work with what I've been given and the limitations of life really um, stimulate my creativity. So um, that's my, that's my biggest takeaway from this pandemic as an artist. That seems like a good closing remark. So we'd like to thank you, Angela Ang, for coming on. Uh, the movies she worked on, Tenet and Bill and Ted 3, are both out now. You should watch them both. They're great for different reasons. Thank, thank you again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Welcome back to the Joe Rogan podcast. That, that was a way to bring us back, Trent. Thank you. You see, every now and then I go, I really like the fact that Trent is my co-host. <laughs> and then I realize all of the work that you don't do, all of the weight that you don't pull. And I go, maybe this was a mistake. Oh, parts. Seems like you're taking genuine shots at me now. And uh, really hurts my feelings. It's not like it was a sarcastic bit. Um, seems like you just insulted me. Um, ouch. I did. Yeah, I did. And seems like you know, some of your genuine feelings were leaking out. Um, just a bit. Yeah. I'm a little Do you want me to leave currently. the show? That would make you the only host. Trent. Please, Trent. I would never say that. But, I would never ask that. But what about you. all the direct criticisms you just gave about my work ethic and contribution? That I stand by, though. Oh, well, I mean, just because this show is your birth child and you do, like, 95% of the work doesn't mean... Yeah, it's all, It's not like I edit it. That's all of the work, Trent. It's all yeah, of the work Yeah, just because you do 
98% of the work doesn't mean that you can bring that attitude with me. Um, despite the my my lack of effort and participation, I think uh, the show's 50-50 split. Well, well, that's that's just um, that's fair and peachy, much like our interview that you just listened to, guys. <laughs> what about that segue? Huh? Come on. Just listen to the Come interview on. with uh, dialogue editor from Bill and Ted Face the Music, the movie that Parth and I watched. We liked it. We loved it, or I loved it. I we we don't know how the other person feels about we'll have it. Because to discuss Actually. that next week. Cool transition, Parth. Episode for next week, where we'll be talking about. Bill and Ted. And we may have a special guest with us, <gasps> a special discussion Part, guest. This is news to me. Who? Miss Kate Rotunda. Kate Rotunda. She's going to come on the airwaves. She is. Wow. Among other things. She'll be our fifth female guest. Wow. You this know, is really friends, a milestone. I, I don't mean to be a straight man. I don't mean to be a straight white male. But I'm proud of the progress we've cut. We've we've um, we've hit the big O five. A lot of male-oriented podcasts have not uh, celebrated this day as we have. But let's no. not get ahead of no. ourselves. It hasn't happened yet, so we're only at four no. female guest spots and countless men. Um, so many. With men. that being said, like so almost many like men. the f- breakdown of the film industry, huh? How's that for? We're just trying to be accurate. How's that for topical comedy? Like that? Orienting. Not as much as I hope people like our next episode, which you can catch (laughs) next week. Uh, Wherever you find your podcast. I'm hitting it with these segues, motherfucker.